Hello and welcome to another episode of Sensational She Geek Live from Yancey Street. Today is Sunday, the 26th of September, and I am doing a very delayed episode 34B. But hey, you know, better late than never, isn't that right? Um, this was supposed to be happening on Friday. I just have been having a hell of a weekend with various things going on, and I haven't really had a chance to stop and do it until today. So uh, we're doing it now, and uh, I'll be also uploading the regular Monday episode, which will be 35A, tomorrow on the 27th. And I also want to say just now at the beginning that I will be having a special edition episode this week. I already have it all planned out, ready to go. Um, it is going to be about Inferno, the Marvel event that's coming uh, from the X-Men side of things starting this coming Wednesday. So um, if you have any questions about what that event is going to be covering, the history of events up until this point that are going to be relevant to this event, um, and what the original Inferno event was and how it might relate to, or rather will relate to, this Inferno event, because the original Inferno event was in the 80s. So I'll be covering all of that, which I'm very excited about, um, on a special edition podcast that will be coming out either tomorrow on Monday or on Tuesday the 28th. Not really sure about that one yet, but um, it will be out before Wednesday, which is when Inferno starts. Meanwhile, for this podcast episode, we're going to start with a couple of points of news, just a few things that were definitely worth mentioning this week's episode, um, and then we're going to be going over the standard comic book pick list. This was things that came out on the 21st for DC Comics and the 22nd for everything else, the regular Wednesday do comic book day. After we cover that, we will be discussing What If Episode 7, which was titled What If Thor Was an Only Child. It was a really fun one, and I'm very... It, it, we're getting to the we're halfway through the season now so we're getting to a point where we have a lot more to talk about than just what happens in this particular episode at a time uh, and after we get through that we will talk Titans episode 9 um, which was where we finally catch up with a number of characters we've been waiting to see so that's all very exciting um, as usual, you can find me online on Instagram. My username is Anna with the comics. My Twitter is Savage She Geek. That is where I will be putting any kind of information about podcast updates. Um, I also have a website, www.sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. That is where I put um, a number of things. It's where I used to put all of my what is now my podcast I used to do as writing, all my reviews, all my discussions about characters and storylines and movies and TV shows, anything like that that I now discuss on the podcast was formerly written on the blog, which is on that website. So if you want to go through any of that old stuff, that is all there to access. I also have my podcast notes, which I know I keep saying I'm going to update and I haven't updated them yet. I haven't done it. What's wrong with me? I will get them updated though. Um, it's there for people who would rather read than listen to me talk. Uh, podcast notes are just what I go through for the week and write stuff down to make sure I don't forget anything um, and don't ramble off too long. Um, and then I also have it up there for, of course, anybody who is hearing impaired who would like to follow along with the uh, podcasts of the week but is unable to otherwise. So there we go. Um, I also have on my website reading orders for favorite female characters. Um, the two that are completed are as Clea from Doctor Strange's History mostly, and then Madeline Pryor from the X-Men, um, who is going to be coming up in 
hopefully at the end of the year here. So if you want to get familiar with her, you can go ahead and read literally everything about her on my uh, website slash blog. Um, the last thing there is links to everywhere that you can listen to this podcast, which is most places that you can listen to podcasts, including YouTube, uh, which is where I also post my action figure review videos. The next review video is going to be the Marvel Hasbro... Uh, Hasbro... Haslab Marvel Legends... Hasbro Marvel Legends Haslab Sentinel. I think that's the right order of words. <laughs> Uh, it came! It came on Friday! It's part of why I didn't get stuff done on Friday. No, it came on Saturday, my bad. It came yesterday. Um, which, again, same thing, part of why I didn't get anything updated yesterday. Um, it's, it's cool. It's awesome. I'm gonna have that review video up tomorrow, which is gonna be Monday the 27th, uh, on my YouTube channel, Sensational She Geek. I also have, if you would like to support the podcast in a way other than just sharing it with people, which is the easiest way to support the podcast, I do a podcast Patreon, um, that is under Sensational She Geek. Um, if you would like to subscribe for on a monthly basis you can do whatever amount you feel is um doable for you or whatever you think you know the podcast is worth for you the price of a comic the price of a movie ticket a month whatever it may be um otherwise you can do one-time donations on ko-fi which is k-o-f-i i'm on there under she geek um and i am working on getting all of my other you know online like venmo and cash app and stuff like that all situated to be under the same names as well um so there are other resources if anybody would like to do that but again the best way to support the podcast um is to just share it with other people get get more interest and things like that. I am working on designing a, it's probably going to end up being kind of like a little postcard, um, like a little flyer type thing that I can uh, distribute around the local areas that I am in and to send to people if they would like to distribute them in their local areas. It's got a QR code for the podcast on it and some information about where you can go to listen to it, what it is, etc. Um, and that will hopefully drum up some more interest for the podcast as well. I've already announced in the Inferno podcast, so let's go ahead and get started. In the news this week, I have to start it off with a really good one. I mean, they're all really good ones, but I have to start it off with one that got me super excited um, about a person in, in particular, Cassandra Peterson, also known as Elvira. Um, she has come out as bisexual this past week, announcing her 19-year relationship with a woman. Um, this is a really, really cool thing to hear because she is, of course, the queen undisputed queen indisputed undisputed queen of the goth community um and she has a big pull in the queer community just because her whole shtick fits right in there um and now it fits even more because she herself has come out as bisexual and and nobody needs receipts you don't need receipts to show you to prove your sexuality but 19 year relationship with a woman i think that i think that just about uh cuts out any argument about um whether or not this would be real i don't know why you would think it wouldn't be but <laughs> in case you're that kind of person um what's kind of cool for me about this was i was listening to the inside of you podcast oh gosh I had to be 2 years ago now 
um, which is my, uh, it's the guy who played, um, on Smallville, he played Lex Luthor. I cannot remember his name off the top of my head right now. It's a really good podcast. Um, he's a little bit pushy, but, um, he does some really good celebrity interviews. And about two years ago, I listened to a interview with Cassandra Peterson, um, which was really cool because I've been a really big fan of her for a long time for many reasons. Um, primarily the, you know, just the fact that she is the goth queen and I mean, hail. Um, so, uh, she said on that interview, because of course he asked about relationships and she said that she has been in a relationship with somebody, but because she has had, um, so many, um, poor endings to relationships due to the public. Um, she is keeping this relationship private for the time being. And I didn't really think much of it at the time. It was good for her. You know, it's well within any person's right to say that and want to have that followed through on. Um, and now with this development, with this announcement, um, that's excellent. That I, I, that totally, that must be why she was keeping it private at the time, which she doesn't need a reason, but there's a reason if she, you know, needed to have one. But, um, I just thought it was a cool little tidbit as an Elvira fan, really, really good news. Um, exciting and, you know, very happy for her, for feeling comfortable enough to come out and announce that at this point. We also had this week the Disney Plus Day announcement. Disney Plus Day is going to be happening November 12th. And what it says on the on the Disney website here is that this that day will uh, be happening in honor of the second anniversary of Disney Plus, where subscribers will have access to promotions and experiences across the company. There are going to be a number of titles added onto the to the the streaming service Disney Plus on that date again, November twelfth, including Shang Chi Jungle Cruise, which. Um, on both of these, first of all, Shang-Chi, I've decided not to do the spoiler review until the November 12th date, um, so that everybody who wants to see it pretty much has had a chance to, um, Disney Plus subscription being cheaper than a movie theater ticket in most cases. Um, so I'm just going to wait until November to do that if that's okay with everyone. I don't imagine <laughs> it's my podcast to do what I want. Um, but I figured I'd wait for that just to make sure that, um, cause I haven't been had a chance to go back to the theater also to see it again, make sure I have a chance to see it again. Um, and, you know, and go over parts of it that I want to talk about more and also everybody else has a chance to see it because it will be super full of spoilers. So anyway, Jungle Cruise also will be on Disney Plus on November 12th. I did watch Jungle Cruise. It is pretty much almost beat for beat. Uh, the Mummy 1999, which is not really a problem. It's just kind of funny. Um, I mm, quality wise, it was whatever. It's a The Rock movie, a The Rock movie. Um, but you know, you can take it or leave it. Uh, Ciao Albert. Ciao Alberto, which is a, I believe, a short based on the, um, the Luca movie, which was a really cute movie. If you haven't seen it, I recommend that one too. And there's also going to be season two of The World According to Jeff Goldblum, which <laughs> if you have not seen season one of that is pretty funny. Um, it's basically just him, Jeff Goldblooming his way around people who have unique, um, Hobbies, jobs, 
um, stuff like that. Stuff that he thinks is like unique and interesting. <laughs> it's 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 a lot of fun. Uh, those are just a few of the many things that we'll be updating onto the service on November twelfth. We will also be getting a Star Wars special celebrating the origins and legacy of the legendary bounty hunter Boba Fett, more quotes from their site, as well as a special celebrating the Marvel Cinematic Universe on Disney Plus with an exciting look towards the future. This of course makes me, this is obviously talking about the shows and things that are showing up. Um, November 12th, I think is right before Hawkeye comes out. Um, so possibly teases about that, but either way, that is no doubt going to be, um, a pretty cool event. Um, even if you're not going to be accessing whatever the promotions and experiences across the company are going to be, um, you got some cool new material on Disney plus to binge. Oh, also, um, the other thing that was on the Disney site that I felt was kind of funny, uh, not funny, but just maybe interesting or noteworthy was um, one other thing they say is in honor of Disney Plus Day, Disney Plus will make its debut in South Korea and Taiwan on November 12th and in Hong Kong on November 16th. So um, it <laughs> explains a lot of the timing, uh, Shang-Chi going on to the service at that time with those markets um, being added to Disney Plus availability is significant. Um, no doubt there's going to be a big rush of Shang-Chi streams that weekend. Asia is a huge market for Disney for a lot of reasons and in a different, a lot of different ways. So, um, that's going to be a big day for them. Uh, even aside from just Shang-Chi, it's going to be a big day for them getting pe new people across the world onto Disney+. Plus. The last little bit of news here that I wanted to discuss uh, was something that I thought was going to be a full trailer. It is not. It was just a... Well, it was just the title credits for the upcoming Netflix live-action Cowboy Bebop show starring John Cho. It was the title credits, which are really, really close to the title credits of the animated show. Uh, the music is the same music. Now, remember, this is the same um, composer for the show Return to do the Netflix show. Um, so that was the first bit of news that I personally heard and got super on board with this live action show because as we all know and hate to remember, um, Netflix doesn't really have a history of making good um, live action anime adaptions or manga adaptions even whichever one you want to go for there it's really both um, <laughs> we, we don't need to talk about it but we all know what we're talking about what I'm talking about um, so knowing that the composer returned for the live action show was a sign to me that this was going to be something good and after seeing these title credits with that wonderful wonderful music alongside of it and seeing the energy of the actors and how they're going to look in their costumes and the movement um, and just a couple really really brief little clips of other things we're going to see in the show this should be pretty fun. Um, if I could maybe compare the vibe of the tiny little clips that we got that were not just, you know, photo shoot style, um, 
you know, single character shots. Um, it, it looks like it might have a similar vibe to Doom Patrol, which, by the way, does have its third season, uh, first three episodes of the third season out. I have not watched them. I'm going to do that before I watch the, before I record the next podcast, though, so that's my plans for the morning, I guess. Um, but anyway, it seems just just based on extremely minimal information, it looks like it might have that vibe of a uh, level of like sci-fi weirdness. Um, I still have time. I'm just thinking I still have time to um, uh, to rewatch the original animated show. Um, which I think I'm still going to do with my husband because he's a huge, massive, lifelong Cowboy Bebop fan. I'm pretty new in it here. Um, he introduced me to it. So uh, it's really exciting, you know, whatever field you're coming from, however much knowledge you have. Um, it's a pretty exciting thing that they have coming. Please don't let us down. <laughs> that wraps up the news and leads me into talking about the comic book pick list. To start things off with the comic book pick list, um, I have to begin with my weekly usual hashtag Poison Ivy Watch. Dun dun dun! Sorry, I apologize for that weirdness. Uh, this week in comics, in Catwoman number 25, they discovered that, well rather confirmed, that Ivy is the key to making more of Saint whatever the villain's name is, whatever his drug is. Uh, Penguin and the Riddler would like to find Ivy to make more of that drug themselves. We also had a guest artist on this issue of issue of Catwoman, as far as I can tell, uh, Nina Vacueva, who draws Ivy stupendously, absolutely phenomenally. I love it. She is still, Ivy that is, she is still hidden in Alleytown by Catwoman, and there are now rumors that go throughout the the villains and things that she is somehow quote odder than usual um the next issue we had a little uh you know they have their little like next coming next and what it said at the end of this issue was a gardener a clown and a witch walk into alley town obviously the gardener is the gardener the clown is harley clown clown hoof <laughs> harley quinn and the witch I'm honestly not sure who that's referring to. It's not Zaytana. There's no way Zaytana's just going to pop up in this for no reason. Maybe there would be a reason. I don't know. Moving on for hashtag Poison Ivy Watch. We have another uh, update here. Actually, we don't have another update here. Batman number 113 was, its update was no Poison Ivy updates um, on any side of things being from um, the gardener and Harley Quinn doing stuff or Batman doing stuff. So um, there was, however, one image of her. Um, I really am digging the art for these issues. I believe it is Jorge Jimenez. I could be completely wrong on that. I'm sorry. Um, really digging the art on these Batman issues, no matter how much I don't particularly like the issues themselves. Uh, he does fantastic art in this. And this little clip here was absolutely no exception. Um, it was a little image of Poison Ivy in her New 52 era black and green suit where she just had the regular white girl skin, which is not my favorite 
like she's green she's green um and she was kissing batman with no doubt venom and lips venom <laughs> venomous lips alongside a really cool honestly homage of talia kissing the uh topless wearing his cowl batman which was of course from um Neil Adams? Yeah, Neil Adams era. Uh, it was an homage to the Neil Adams Batman stuff. And then there was another image of him and Selina kissing as well, which seemed to be a bit of a Jim Lee homage. So that was kind of a cool thing to see there. And that's all we have this week for Poison Ivy Watch. Excuse me, hashtag Poison Ivy Watch. And I will be doing this weekly. Just so <laughs> be prepared. Unless there's absolutely nothing to update, in which case we will not talk about it because... Nothing to update. Anyway, X Men number three was this week. This is, of course, if you recall, Jerry Duggan uh, and Pepe Larraz's X Men. Speaking of Pepe Larraz, oh my god, I didn't do my intro to this episode. Um, hmm, I'll have to go back and edit that. If there's an intro there, ignore that. Um, Pepe Larraz did the art for the Sentinel. Uh, box artwork for the Marvel HasLab, um, which was really cool to see. He's got some excellent shots on there. But anyway, uh, he does the art for Jerry Duggan's X-Men number three. Um, good issue for the most part. Um, I have to wonder if Hickman really is ever coming back. The way that solicitations for Marvel comics for his last stuff coming out in December are sounding, it really seems that things are pretty final and that does concern me. If December is when Hickman's influence on the mutant side of Marvel comes to an end, I have to wonder how much I'll be reading all this mutant stuff by the end of February 2022. Um, this Duggan X-Men feels a lot like Hickman is still influencing a lot of it, um, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see how things change after Inferno. Um, or how much they change, because I, I feel like saying that they're not going to change is ridiculous. Of course it's going to change. Right now we're really just trying to figure out how much. Um, so in this issue, uh, we have the High Evolutionary who shows up. Now, I thought that this was going to be... Um, uh, this was a lot of... Up until this issue, it was a lot of um, villains that seemed to just be kind of thrown into the wall announced as being a problem and we kind of get that fixed a tiny bit in this issue where uh, we meet the high evolutionary and he ends up being the key to tie together all the other villains uh, meaning the new Nimrod and Cordyceps Jones as well as himself um, all of that kind of ties together um, I thought those were all going to be separate plot lines and this was just going to be a complete mess of different things happening at the same time. Um, but thankfully, it doesn't look like that's going to happen now. Um, it's been kind of stopped in its tracks and we're we're on the right course again. So um, what, what we find out first from the High Evolutionary is, is that, is that um, Cordyceps Jones and Nimrod are somehow related in their goals. 
Um, but we're not really sure how that is yet. We're not at all sure how that is yet. Um, and there was a really fun, <laughs> a really fun bit of us kind of figuring out that Cordis, not Cordis, the High Evolutionary um, and Sinister have like beef with each other they don't get along um which was pretty funny because they were two they, they are two gene engineers and experimenters um of course they would have they would butt heads like crazy and then you get sinister who is <laughs> who he is <laughs> and then high evolutionary who is this high and mighty you know i guess in a sense prim and proper from his perspective <laughs> um so you can see how they would butt heads a lot <laughs> um so the high evolutionary and his daughter luminous uh she is actually super super cool they arrive here at, uh, to speak with the x-men uh luminous has a history with rogue apparently i didn't have a chance to do the researching on that uh but there it is and she has the powers of both Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. The group ends up fighting with pretty good demonstrations of each member's powers until Sink finally gets a hold of Luminous's power set. Remember, he can uh, sync with any mutant's powers. And the battle ends up ending. Uh, they give the High Evolutionary a single drop of Sink's blood because he is a gene engineer, you know, just like Sinister. He's kind of obsessed with that stuff. And they end up uh, leaving them alone after they discuss Cordyceps Jones. Um, after this interaction, I had to kind of stop and think that um, over at DC, I see a lot of creating new villains and, you know, various characters to join in on Cape Comics. Um, uh, which is fine, um, but this, this stuff happening in X-Men feels like a better mix of newer and older things, of reuse and kind of experimentation as they move forward. Um, there was a quip that happened that was really obvious foreshadowing, um, it was really cool though, uh, where you have, I believe it was Polaris who talks to Luminous uh, after that whole battle because her father is able to take away her powers and therefore take them away from Sink at the same time. Um, so Polaris, as she's leaving, says, did you know your old man had a, had a kill switch for your powers? Definitely, definitely all of this is going to blow back on them later. Uh, but that was a cool line to kind of get her with right there at the end. Um, but but uh, a high evolutionary, he does give the X-Men some good information about Cordyceps Jones and Game World, which is, of course, the place that he runs that um, is kind of, it's right outside of Black Hole, so time is very different. And it's is where all of these aliens from all over go to try and just basically make bets on destroying worlds. Um, and Earth is the latest target. They've thrown a number of things at them and the X-Men have stopped them all. So we'll see what happens next. Um, but anyway, a high evolutionary does not like Game World. The whole idea of it offends him because it is a world, it is a, it is, it is a group of people who they judge 
various worlds without context and thus in his mind it is inaccurate it is they are inaccurate judgments which makes a lot of sense so i'll give him that one um and then at the end of the issue somebody and i may have just missed who it was um but i'm not sure who it was somebody gives ben yurik proof uh, by way of photos and paperwork, that Scott Summers has been resurrected, or rather that he has died and now he's back, which is Ben Yurk being a reporter, kind of forcing him to make that public. So uh, that puts him in a tough space and that's going to make things really complicated for the mutants pretty soon, as soon as he gets that published, because uh, having resurrection is going to be seen as a big threats. You can bet money on that. For the start, the kickoff, Death of Doctor Strange, issue number one. Um, I am just skimming it to see if Clea is going to appear in it, and the answer in this was no. Although Stephen did look at an image of, Qu of <laughs> an image of Clea a few times wistfully, which was, you know, good for him or bad for him or whatever, but you did that to yourself, buddy. So, uh, Killer Queens number two, really awesome issue. The, uh, the, the two, the two, uh, ex-assassins are in an alien prison and they are sentenced to death after a very long wait in a cell with a fellow alien, but not like them. He's pink. He's an alien to the planet. Um, they, managed to bond with him in their very own special way um, because remember these are queer as hell assassins um, and then they are all sentenced to death at the trial later uh, the group of three of them they too try to escape doesn't go very well but then that that third guy the guy who was in the cell with them who they bonded with in their own special way um, his cohorts end up busting in uh, and get them all out in the name of revolution so cool stuff. <laughs> the series is just a lot of fun. It's completely, it's just four issues. It's fun. It's a little bit raunchy. I mean, what more can you ask for? Issue number three uh, of four comes out October 20th. Mirka Andolfo's Sweet Paprika had issue three this week, and this is of 12 issues. Um... I, I really enjoy this still. Um, for being seemingly constrained by stylization, Andolfo really does a fantastic job of capturing clear expressions, um, which are overdone as much as the self-described dramatic plot allows. Um, everything is a little bit overdone with this, and that's all part of the vibe. It's all part of the joke. Um, and so I like how her art style being as overdone as it is and um, kind of kooky as it is, she's still able to capture really spot-on, clear expressions. Uh, in this issue, Paprika's dad, Artemisio, is put on forced vacation from his work because he had that heart attack that we found out about in the first issue and kind of witnessed in the second. Paprika is at this, um, I believe she's at this publishing party. Uh, she needs a ride to get home, but it is Saturday night in Manhattan. Her assistant can't get her a cab, so she's stuck at this corporate celebration party thing for her company securing a movie deal for their most recent best-selling book. The writer of the book is her ex, Paprika's ex, um, and Zatar, a producer of the film, 
is a pretty close male version of Paprika. Uh, she respects him, of course, and she obviously has the hots for him, being a male version of herself, and she loves herself for the most part. Um, when they start getting flirty between Paprika and Zatar, her ex, who was the writer of the book, uh, he steps in and interrupts and basically shames her out of the party by being a massive chode. Um, Dill, in the meantime, who is the angel, while Paprika is a demon, I'm talking not in metaphors here, we're being literal. Uh, Dill, who happens to be hanging out at Paprika's office because I guess that's just what he does when he's bored, um, and that's not me making assumptions, that's literally what it says. <laughs> he overhears from her assistant, Paprika's assistant, that she does need a ride, so he borrows his, uh, his dad's van to go get her. He finds her wasted on the side of the road and brings her home where she immediately, remember, completely wasted, tries to bang him. He clearly wants to go along. He's got extremely tented pants and is based, I think he actually was drooling in the art, um, but he is able to still recognize that she is beyond drunk and so he turns her down, getting her tucked into bed by herself. Um, and after he, well, I guess she, she breaks down and then he, he leaves and is like, okay, you'll feel better in the morning. So in the morning, uh, funnily enough, <laughs> she gets an email with a video file of something that nobody expected. It is her father having his heart attack while in the middle of a group sex porn shoot snorting cocaine. I believe that's what was happening. <laughs> Oh yeah, good stuff. Uh, really cool series. I like how this is touching on morality, but in a completely different way than you would kind of expect, um, where she's not being shamed from the creator's perspective for being drunk and horny. Um, her boyfriend shamed her, her ex-boyfriend, I suppose, but he, uh, that was all kind of written developed in a way that it's very clear he is a villain of the story um so she is not shamed from our perspective at all we are empathetic to her you know desires and whatnot so um and then her father who is extremely against her lifestyle in pretty much the same way that her ex-boyfriend was or rather is um he has clearly his own moral secrets uh, of his own. So uh, I'm, this is only issue three and there's a lot that's been developed already so far. So I'm looking forward to more. Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, number four of eight, which is of course by Tom King and Bill Quise Evely. Absolutely stunning and a pleasure to read. In this issue, Kara and the young girl who she's traveling with go from planet to planet following the destruction of whole societies, even whole worlds, by the brigands, which includes the man who they are looking for, uh, who is Krem. His name is Krem. Sometimes they are able to help the victims. Sometimes there is no one left to help. The scenes are gruesome. They are intentionally brutal and violent. Um, after witnessing the aftermath and slaughter of a piece of, of a peaceful group of monks in quote the most beautiful planet in the universe Kara is pretty much left forced to fly into the sun and just let loose and scream um, 
I have a I have a, a quote here from the issue that I really really want to go over. I know there's a lot of people who really don't like Tom King. Um, if you don't like Tom King, I honestly don't know why you're listening to this podcast because I am very open about the fact that I do. Um, but this is something that uh, he did. I just feel like the the incredible way that he's able to write. Um, I don't know. Hopefully you'll see it, but, but, um, being a big fan of Kara and her history and her passion, um, this was a really great moment. And I just wanted to, I, I literally, it took me like 10 minutes to go back and forth between the pages and typing it out to get this all down. But, uh, I really wanted to read this out. So here we go. This is all by the way, coming from the young girl's perspective, speaking of Kara. She does not choose to fire a beam from her eyes or have breath of ice or run faster than a speeding bullet or any of her other well-documented miracles. No, she held back her heat vision to look you in the face. She warmed her breath to converse with you. She slowed herself to walk by your side. Every moment of every day, she suppressed the forces churning inside her. All the energy of a dead world that strained against her many barriers, eternally demanding to be released. I believe this effort hurt her. I believe she lives her life in pain. But I reiterate again, for I think it is important enough to be repeated. These beliefs are based around my time at her side, watching her as she moved through the strife and sorrow. If you were to have asked her, I have little doubt she would have claimed that such an assertion was absurd. She would have said that she felt fine and well, and then she'd ask you if you needed any help. As she narrates this, that's the end of the quote, as she narrates this, Kara is inside the sun right after that scene of witnessing the slaughter of the monks. She is in clear anguish so much that it looks like it must be physical, not just emotional. Um, really fantastic stuff and I really I don't think Tom King here is saying that this is literally how Kara experiences her powers I think uh this is saying that what she shows us of her powers is restrained she's par she's probably I'm I have no doubt she's far more powerful than we would ever guess but a lot of her power comes from that horrible, horrible past of having been sent off her planet to care for her baby cousin on Earth, leaving her planet behind as it falls apart in destruction, only to arrive on that Earth to find that that baby has already grown into a literal superhero on that planet and he doesn't need you to look after him. The last daughter of Krypton, the one the the last one with any real memory of that world, period that's so much trauma to be constantly living with, especially while you stand up and smile and choose to be a hero anyway. It's phenomenal. And, um, I think that that's what King really, he captures that really, really well alongside Evely's art. It's, it's just a stunning couple of pages. Um, after the next planet, Supergirl, uh, she can tell that they are closing in on Krem and his gang, so she tries to send the girl home, um, but then is reminded, rightfully so, about how she too was only but a girl when she started seeing the horrors that life had. Um, so she ends up taking her off with her to the new planet, uh, to the next planet. It's, it's, um, it's a nice little 
connection for the two of them to make there very briefly. Um, I really enjoyed that. This, this, I mean, I enjoy all these issues, but this was like quotable. I mean, I literally spent a long time. <laughs> I spent so much time on that. Um, I don't know how many times I read it, but it really beautifully well written. The last issue I'm going to talk about on this episode is Eat the Rich number two. If you don't recall what happened in the end of the first issue, pretty cool shit. Um, <laughs> she goes with her uh, rich boyfriend to his family's, uh, their butler's retirement party or something. Um, and then at the end of it, she witnesses them kill the butler and barbecue him. So obviously her name is Joey. Just as a reminder, Joey and Aster is her boyfriend. Joey is freaking the hell out. <laughs> For obvious reasons. Uh, she tells, or she tries to talk to her boyfriend, Aster, about all of this, but he took a sleeping pill because he was so stressed and it conked him out. So she does what every white woman in a horror situation does, snooping for evidence. <laughs> and of course she is caught, but thankfully it is only by Petal, who is the nice babysitter from the last issue, uh, who they met on the beach with the, the very young baby child kid, whatever. Um, Petal ends up being the ear for all of Joey's concerns and ends up not being surprised about any of this. In fact, she already knew and actually signed the same, or at least a similarly ending, deal. Um, basically what it is is the help gets paid buku cash, loads of money, um, due to various dire needs in their lives, like, uh, student loans or, um, end-of-life care or whatever it may be. So they sign the retirement care, um, they, they, they sign the retirement clause in exchange for getting paid off for whatever it is in their life they need the money for. In Petal's case, she was pretty much already dying. She has a shocking array of debilitating diseases for somebody who seems to be at such a young age. Her quality of life as she gets older isn't looking very great, um, especially the older she gets. So uh, with healthcare bills that she could not afford or avoid, uh, this deal made sense for her. Um, so Joey ends up going back to her room um, and we see that her boyfriend's stepmom is watching her from the shadows. Uh, there is a really fun artistic details in the background um, of this, f uh, this giant portrait that's in one of their staircases of this big old house. Um, it shows art of several servants with a platter of beef. And when she walks past it again, after hearing all of this information, the beef is now a head. <laughs> so that was kind of cool. Head on a plate. Uh, the issue ends with the next day at a lunch barbecue. I wouldn't eat that barbecue if it was me, but okay. Uh, when Joey is approached by Aster's stepmom, who witnessed her last night, who says that she needs to talk about to Joey about what she saw last night. Dun, dun, dun. I really dig this. Um, it's only gonna be five issues, Eat the Rich, so I mean, this is like cool horror movie vibes. I'm totally into it. Sign me up. I'm into it. Let's do it forever. Five issues is forever. Hey. 
Next up, we're going to talk What If, Episode 7. This uh, premiered on third, oh, no, it premiered on Wednesday, the 22nd. And the episode was What If Thor Was an Only Child? This was a really fun episode from start to finish. Um, if you are going to catch all of the little details in the background, which I am not going to take the time to point out every single one of them, um, but the things that you're going to want to have watched already to make sure that you understand all those little details that are showing up in the background include, um, let's see, obviously Thor. <laughs> you might as well watch The Dark World, Thor Ragnarok, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2, Captain Marvel, Avengers Age of Ultron, and I would also say the credit scene of Avengers Infinity War and the battle scene of Avengers Endgame. Um, honestly, watching the whole array of Marvel movies might be the best way to go. <laughs> but this episode, I, um, I don't, I don't want to say like you should watch other what if episodes too, because towards the end, we start getting kind of into a whole nother ball game. Um, and you want to be aware of what's going on when that happens. But anyway, so the premise of this episode, we'll get to that other stuff later. The premise of this episode is fairly easy to imagine. Um, instead of keeping baby ice prince Loki, good old Odin returns him to his people to be raised as one of their own. So basically, <laughs> if Odin did the right thing, <laughs> And what does this affect? Well, for the most part, it takes place in one shape. Thor didn't have competition growing up and ended up super, what I would, I guess what I would call spoiled, happy, endlessly egotistical, but extremely positive. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably the best way to say that. Just, he's, he's, he's happy and spoiled. I don't know, I guess what he wants. Um, the basic gist of the episode goes, it goes like this. Um, we're in the first Thor movie, Jane and Darcy, who was played by Kat Dennings, you recall, uh, where they run into Thor, bewildered and banished as he was, um, on earth after searching the sky's frequencies. Um, this time the arrival of an Asgardian on earth comes in the form of Prince Thor, not Bewildered and Banished, alongside Lady Sif and his Warriors Three. They arrive in Las Vegas, specifically, to party. <laughs> this is why we're calling this one Party Thor. At some point in the night, Nick Fury is accidentally almost killed, so Maria Hill makes it her job to get Thor off the planet. When talking does not work, and Jane, who did sleep with him that night, of course, cannot bring, uh, well, she cannot help the, uh, the S.H.I.E.L.D. people the way that they want, uh, Maria Hill calls in the big gun, Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel. Carol shows up and has a very impressive battle with Thor that was honestly pretty funny to watch. It was very entertaining. Not as much funny as just, like, entertaining. It was, battles can get boring, but this, they kept it funny. Um... And that does take up a big chunk of the episode. Carol ends up pinning Thor in the Arctic so that she can let loose safely. But Jane has been up to her own plan, telling Thor's mom. <laughs> she figures if Thor is real, so must Heimdall and Frigga. So she figures out how to get Heimdall's attention with science. 
and he gets her to forget who is having wine with her sister witches. Don't get me started on my Angela theory. When Frigga hears what Thor has been up to on Earth, she interrupts his battle with Captain Marvel right before Captain Marvel goes nuclear by way of popping up holographically, as in Frigga interrupting, um, or magically, or whatever it is that happens. She is clearly clearly pissed. Thor panics, um, and as she's on her way to Earth, he has to beg all of the different extraterrestrial partiers for help, of which there are many, many, many. Um, just a quick listing off the top of my head, most of the Guardians, if not all, probably most of the characters we see in the background of Guardians movies and Thor Ragnarok, as well as the Collector and the other one who is his brother, and I can't remember his name, um, the one who is Jeff Goldblum. Um, and his little assistant lady. They're pretty funny in this. And then we have Loki who's in this, but guess what? He is Prince, Ice Prince Loki. So he's a giant and he's blue and he's an Ice Prince. But the thing is they, when, when we see him, he like storms up to Thor and they look all mad and then they like dap each other up and like, hey man, how's it going? My brother from another mother. Literally, that's what they say. I'm not just trying to sound cool. That's what they say. I'm quoting it. I know I sounded lame. <laughs> I'm aware. But anyway, um, so those are some of the people who are there on Earth partying. It was pretty funny to see all that. Um, all that and more. So by the time that Heimdall uh, gets Frigga to Earth, it looks like they, they somehow have made it look like Thor has been hosting like an educational seminar in Italy in Florence specifically. So Frigga is impressed until uh, Thor summons Mjolnir and it arrives covered in clear signs of hardcore Vegas style partying. <laughs> the end of the episode. Thor and Jane are about to go off happily ever after into the sunset when figures start popping up out of a portal of a kind. They are Ultrons, as in the robot Ultron. There are many, many lots of Ultrons. Who are they led by? a big impressive Ultron in a cape with the infinity gems on his body. And then the head turns out to be a mask and the mask opens and we see who's the master of this vision. It's the vision. I gave that away. Dun, dun, dun. So, um, I gotta say at this point, we can definitely tell like the episodes I feel like are going to start being a lot more clearly connected, but we can definitely tell right now that this is not a shared universe. We're seeing repeating elements like these endings where, you know, they think things are going to be okay. And then it goes completely bad right at the last second. Um, those kinds of endings are kind of repeating now. So, um, with this not being a shared universe, we've seen multiple versions of characters like Iron Man and Nebula, but after more, more and more after each episode, I, I really get the feeling that these worlds will collide, not just because of the similar endings. Um, I just, but I do think, you know, is it possible that this season will end with Party Thor, Captain Carter, and uh, whoever else is there is all the other surviving heroes of the episodes to go up against zombie Thanos and Ultron Vision. Um, like, that would be pretty wild. <laughs> um, I, I don't really know if they would, like, I feel like the two of them would just battle it out, just duke it out. Zombie Thanos and Ultron Vision with the Infinity Stones, both of them. They were each other's worst enemy. Maybe that's the way they saved the day.
Um, but in any case, really awesome uh, episode. For the voice cast, we have obviously Chris Hemsworth as Thor, Tom Hiddleston is Loki, even as the Frost Giant, Natalie Portman did return for Jane Foster, Kat Dennings as Darcy Lewis, Sam Jackson as Nick Fury, Jeff Goldblum as the Grandmaster, Kobe Smulders as Maria Hill, of course, Claire Gregg as Agent Coulson. Frank Grillo does return as Crossbones, but he's pre-Crossbones, so that makes him Brock Rumlow. Taika Waititi has a cameo as Korg. Karen Gillan as Nebula. Jamie Alexander as Lady Sif. Seth Green as Howard the Duck. Clancy Brown as Surtur, which was fucking hilarious. That shit was so funny. Um, and then you get Alexandra Daniels playing Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel and Rachel House playing Topaz. Um, oh, and then Frigga is voiced by Josette Eels. So you get a good cast there, a couple of newbies, a lot of veteran MCU actors and voice actors. So that's really cool to have had. Um, I really dig this. I just, I, I'm, I'm... I'm pretty sure it's mostly obvious at this point that the heroes of these episodes are all going to wind up meeting somehow. It's the somehow that I have no clue how that's going to happen. Um, assuming this is 12 episodes because they had the half season um, trailer before episode 6. So that would mean we'd have 12 episodes. Um, we got time to figure it out. <laughs> we got time to figure out how they're all meet, but I'm, I'm digging these stories and I'm loving how much, um, people who haven't been familiar really with like the, the what if formats are getting into it as well. Finally in Titans episode nine, we are finally catching up with Raven and Donna by way of Tim kind of dying, <laughs> but I'm bum. in short. Um, because it's Sunday night and I got shit to do. Uh, Donna is dead. Her body is being cared for on Themyscira by the Amazons and Raven. Raven wants to use her powers to bring Donna back. And it takes a pretty brutal lesson of patience and willpower for the leader of this group of Amazons to show her that this will not work. But that's okay, because it turns out that Donna's soul is in what I would describe as purgatory. It actually looks a lot like purgatory from the show Supernatural all kind of grayish sepia out but anyway her soul is there on a train to the afterlife which is where tim wakes up remember he got shot in the last episode so his soul is there too but unlike donna and the other train passengers he is confused and panicked even after he figures out what's going on but then he bumps into Donna, of course, and she follows him as he jumps off the train and into the woods. They immediately run into some kind of soul-sucking wraith doodad and are saved by none other than Hank, as in Hawk, who got killed by really brutal explosion. Well, I guess he probably didn't feel anything. <laughs> Let's not think about that too hard. Um, Hank, he has a cool car and fills them in on how in this place, being what I'm calling purgatory, anything that you imagine hard enough will appear there for you, um, which becomes very useful uh, in fighting the wraithy things. Um, somehow they figure out uh, that there, I honestly don't remember how they figured this out, there might be a way back to the opposite direction as to where the train is coming, as in 
back to life, not to the afterlife. Um, so the group heads that way looking for it. There's really dramatic scene on a bridge surrounded by darkness where Hank ends up staying back to give Donna and Tim time to move on and they both end up alive. Tim wakes up in a hospital after coding and Donna is, well, she's just kind of found not to be in the pre-burial chamber anymore, signifying that she is back. To make things more interesting, we do see Bruce Wayne in this episode. I was predicting, as I've said several times before, that Bruce Wayne is not going to make an appearance in the rest of the Titans show. Um, he killed the Joker, tapped out. Now we're going to get Nightwing as Batman. But, you know, things change, and we did see Bruce Wayne in this episode. So at the very beginning of this episode, actually, there was that scene with Bruce in some kind of insane nuts castle somewhere um signing a new copy of his will we actually we actually went back and watched the clip a couple of times to see if we could see like oh is he putting somebody's name on the will no he's just signing it um and that's pretty much all that scene was now at the end of the episode we see bruce <laughs> lighting the room that he's in on fire trying to off himself um, and he goes unconscious, and it does not go as planned, as he is saved by none other than Donna Troy. So if we're talking predictions here, um, we know Tim is going to wake up and presumably remember Donna. Um, I honestly am not sure if he recognized who Donna was in his, dr in his dream, in the purgatory scenes. Um, or if they were able to fill each other in on what was going on. I think uh, Donna learned that they were killed, well not they, that Hank was killed by Tim Drake. Um, it's not Tim Drake, oh my god. Um, Jason Todd. <laughs> uh, he, that uh, Hank was killed by Jason Todd and she's pretty surprised by that. Um, so she knows as well that there is some shit going down in Gotham. Um, so Tim here is going to wake up after coat. Well, he did wake up after coding in Gotham and he's going to have his knowledge of Donna and Hank and Donna wakes up in, uh, Amazonia. Wow. Themyscira. And she goes off and saves Bruce Wayne, which I'm very curious why I'm curious about that whole thing, actually. Why did she save Bruce? Why did she know to go to Bruce, really? Um, and where Bruce's location is, apparently nobody else bothered to go there and check for him? Or is that some crazy Amazon thing that she did to find Bruce? I don't know. Um, but in any case, that is where she chose to go first, which makes me think, is she trying to confront Bruce about Jason? Is that what she sees as her priority thing after coming back from the dead? Um, difficult to say, but we're going to find out hopefully on Thursday. Yeah, Thursday on HBO Max. Um, I think that might be the last episode. I want to say that there's been 10 episode seasons. It's either going to be 10 or 12, and I'm not certain. Um, obviously, I hope it's 12 because I have been digging the hell out of this season. Um, it has been girl power up the... <coughs> oh, wow. I don't edit things. <laughs> I don't, I'm too lazy. Um, I'm too busy, actually. <laughs> anyway, um, 
I'm loving the girl power of the season. I know I've said it a whole bunch before, but um, the way that Barbara Gordon's being handled is just thrilling. Um, I'm not being sarcastic. I'm serious. It is absolutely thrilling. Um, Starfire and Blackfire, their whole dynamic is really awesome, and they both look absolutely stunning. Um, and now we're getting Donna back, and Raven will probably pop up in Gotham after seeing that Donna's gone. Um, and she looks like we only had a little bit of her in that episode, but she looks like she has matured a good amount. Um, so that's another thing to look forward to as we go forward through the last couple of episodes slash episode of season three of Titans. And that wraps up this week's very late B episode of Sensation She Geek Live from Yancey Street. The next episode, which I will have out, um, it should be no issue. I should have it out by tomorrow evening. Episode 35A will be happening Monday the 27th. I will be covering, among other things, uh, Visions episode, well, the whole first season of Star Wars Visions. Um, and a lot of the reasons of why they are making this show. And then hopefully I'll be able to finish the second, two, and third episodes of Doom Patrol season three. And we will cover all of that. Uh, the comic book poll list for the coming week, of course. And then if there's any other news and stuff, there was a trailer for something that came out yesterday, I want to say, that I just haven't had a chance to watch yet so um well whatever all that stuff is i will catch up on that and we'll talk about it on tomorrow's episode um also coming either tomorrow the 27th or tuesday the 28th but it will definitely be then at the latest because inferno starts on wednesday is my as i said at the beginning inferno prep podcast um it's going to be covering the entire 80s inferno event how that went, what the driving forces behind that were, the histories that you'll need to know for the characters who may be, sh well, who will be showing up at some point, um, as well as how it's going to be related to the modern Inferno starting Wednesday. I will also uh, be covering on that episode everything about Madeline Pryor that you would ever need to know, um, and the history of all of Hickman's X-Men stuff so far. House of X, Powers of X, Dawn of X, X of Swords, everything that you might need to know for Inferno. And lastly, I will be covering the um, character histories for those characters who you may have seen on the marketing advertisements for uh, this Inferno event, where it says our leaders can't be trusted, our allies can't be trusted, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'll be going over those characters and how they are going to be related to the Inferno event from what I have seen myself. So all of that to be coming out on a, on a special podcast um, edition that will be happening either Tuesday, uh, Monday or Tuesday this week. So keep an eye out for that as well. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast for whatever amount of time you have been able to give me this week. Um, I apologize again. This is coming so late, but it really has been a, a hell of a week and a weekend. Um, hopefully I'll kind of get it together a little bit better this week and we'll get things out on time come Friday. Um, until then, until we speak again, <laughs> um, don't be afraid to reach out, comment on things, follow me on social media, anything like that. Uh, if you do have any questions, comments, concerns, stuff like that, feedback, 
I'd love to hear from you. Um, if you have any other theories on things that I didn't think to mention, let me at them. Um, I, I love to get sweaty talking about comics with people. So, um, that's, that's why I'm here. That's why I keep doing this podcast, um, regardless of however many listeners I may or may not have. So, and it will always be free. Um, I know I mentioned the donating stuff in the beginning, but this will always be a free podcast. Um, that's, that's not something that someday I may end up, um, making advertisements on it if need be financially, but, um, none of that now. And I have no advertisements on my website or anything like that. So, um, try to keep it fair to people who are just regular old people like me. Anyway, have a good week. I hope your weekend was delightful. Um, and I will be back for another episode come Monday. Um, have a a lovely second week of fall and do something you enjoy.